Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, this chapter is a continuation in a lot of ways of what we studied last week. I mean, it's all continuation, but uh, last week we kind of hit hard on the spiritual gifts, the gifting of the Holy Spirit. And in this gifting of the Holy Spirit, if you recall in chapter 12, uh, verse uh, 8, uh, to one is given the word of wisdom and, and you know it's through the spirit but how Paul indicates that you know there's the gift of wisdom the gift of knowledge in verse 9 the gift of faith this is from chapter 12 uh, uh, healings and in verse 10 miracles prophecy discerning speaking in tongues and then the interpretation of tongues and it's so beautiful how there's this buildup, even towards the end of chapter 12, how there's this buildup, this anticipation of, okay, Paul, what is, the, what is this gift you speak of? Remember, in, in, in verse 31 of chapter 12, he says, I will show you a more excellent way. And what is it that he's about to teach on? And you know what it is? Love, the greatest gift. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm going to go ahead and get ahead of myself in verse 13 of chapter 13. The greatest of these is love, the greatest gift. And if you recall our study from last week, this is in, in, in no way, shape, or form are we as believers in the same boat. Are we to feel down on ourselves if we don't, you know, it's like, wow, you know, I don't have wisdom. Oh, wow, I don't have knowledge. Oh, wow, I don't have faith. I don't have healings. I don't have prophecy, the gift of prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation. It's like, Wow, you know, I can't speak in tongues. Does that mean that we get down on ourselves for that? No way. No way. Because it's the same spirit, the greatest gift being love, how all these things can be built upon. Remember, Jesus Christ is a chief cornerstone. The Holy Spirit building brick by brick by brick by brick in your heart. In your heart. You know, remember that. Never ever get down on yourself if you're like, wow, you know, I don't have knowledge. You know, I don't know the Bible like this guy. I don't know the Bible like this girl. I don't know the Bible like this lady, this guy, whoever it is. Remember, comparison is the thief of joy. That's what happens when you start to compare yourself with another person, compare yourself with another person. Now, the Lord gives us people as a pattern, you know, as Paul indicates, as Peter indicates, as James indicates. You know, we have these people in in the Bible, but even like among us. But you know what's so beautiful about these patterns that the Lord has before us? Is that these patterns, and they're rare. They're rare. They're, they're not the, the standard, you know? But the Lord has these people as patterns. And in my life, I can only speak personally, but in, in my life, these people who the Lord has as patterns, these are people who... Never get on a, they never exalt themselves. Never. And if I were to talk with these individuals and be like, man, you know, I don't have the knowledge like you have the knowledge. I don't have the faith like you have the faith. And I don't have this like you have the, they would be the first ones to say, hey, cut it out. It's okay. It's perfectly okay. Don't get down on yourself for, you know, you don't have this, you don't have that. Because do you have love? You see, the greatest gift. And that's what's so beautiful. Remember our rugby game that we talked about a couple weeks ago? 
our beautiful, beautiful rugby game. How you have four-year-olds playing rugby with 20-year-olds who have played rugby with 80-year-olds. Now for the 20-year-olds, in order for them to play with the four-year-olds, they have to humble themselves. Remember, the meek shall inherit the earth. Never, ever, ever, ever get down on yourself. Now, remember, the Lord has cleaned house. The Lord has cleaned house. So this is chapter 13. What we're going to look at in chapter 13, it's much easier to apply in our lives when the Lord has cleaned house. I mean, look at Corinth, for example. And I'll say when the Lord has cleaned house, you know, the Lord used Paul. Paul was a vessel that the Lord used. And in chapter 5, I mention this and I'm going to mention it a lot. But in chapter 5, Paul says in verse 9, chapter 5, verse 9, he says, I wrote you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world. Very interesting, Paul. Very interesting. Or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Very interesting. So in the world, you don't need me to tell you this, but in the world, you know that we have the sexually immoral, the covetous, the extortioners, the idolaters. And Paul says, I'm not talking about these guys. I'm not talking about what you see in the world. He says in verse 11, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Very interesting, Paul. He says all these things in the world, when it's in the world, that's the world. That's Corinth. But when it's in the church, that's not good. That's not good. And Paul says, don't even eat with such a person because this is leaven inside the church. Now, keep in mind, three years, arrested development in Corinth. Three years. You know, they were babes in Christ and three years later, and they're still babes in Christ. They were milk drinkers day one, and which is fine. They're brand new believers. Day one, drinking milk. Beautiful. Praise be to the Lord. The problem is, you know, five months in, still drinking milk. One year in, still drinking milk. Two years in, still drinking. The third year, still on milk. Still on milk. Remember chapter 3 when Paul says in verse uh, 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 1 to the church. He says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to carnal people, but uh, as to, to spiritual people, but as to carnal as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And now, and even now, you are still not able. For you are still carnal, he says. You are still carnal. And you see the fruit of the flesh. Walking according to the flesh, not the spirit. I mean, after a month. Two months, you know, it's, I get it. You know, we're in these earth suits after a year. You know, it's the works of the, it's like, wait a second. Where's the works of the spirit? Where is the obedience in Christ after two years? Well, what's happening? Where is the obedience to Christ? After three years? Oh my goodness. Now, now something has to happen. Now something has to happen where the Lord has to clean house. Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? Why did it have to get to this point? 
where Paul has to even write. I mean, praise be to the Lord that he did in obedience to the Lord because inspired by the Spirit, he writes these things down. Not to keep company, chapter 5, verse 11. Not to keep company with anyone named a brother. It is inside the church. The sexually immoral, the covetous, the idolater, the reviler, the drunkard, the extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. That's the leaven. When leaven is identified, leaven has to be dealt with. Okay, it could be, it's dealt with lovingly. You know, hey brother, cut it out. Hey sister, cut it out. Repent and be clean before the Lord. This isn't right before the Lord. But three years in and nobody has corrected. Now it's like, okay, this leaven is getting out of hand. This is leaven. Remember in chapter five, when he says your rejoicing isn't good in chapter, in verse six, chapter five, verse six, your glorying is not good. Translates in the Greek as your rejoicing is not good. He's saying this to the church. Your rejoicing isn't a good thing. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. You see? And don't forget, it's not like to say like someone's a brand new believer and, you know, they go outside and smoke a cigarette. And you're like, okay, you're leaven. Get out of my face. No, it's not. It's like, you know, it takes time. It takes time where, you know, somebody has to learn. Maybe somebody's smoking cigarettes because they put down the crack pipe. You see, so they put down the crack pipe and they, you know, they did their time on cigarettes. And then, they, you know, in the course of time, they put down the cigarettes and, you know, it, whatever it is. I'm just giving an example. Not to say like, you know, if you, if you do cigarettes, you're going to burn in hell. I'm not saying that. Uh, you know, I'm not like a seven-day Adventist, you know, where they say you got to eat this, you got to drink this, you got to. No. But you have to understand, just like a child. A child grows up and, you know, they're going to make mistakes. But it's the parents who correct. And just like in a church, in a fellowship, you have people who were fish. And they're now lambs. And for a lamb to turn into the, a sheep, maturity has to happen. And for a sheep to turn into a shepherd, maturity has to happen. Arrested development restricts that from happening. You see? And so when we look at chapter 13 now, you know, there are heavier subject matter that Paul addresses here in chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and here we are in chapter 13. And in chapter 13, it's a lot easier to apply these things in our life. And not just apply, but apply, but in a... In a beautiful kind of way because the leaven has been dealt with. I mean, let's go back in our time machine. Let's go back in our time machine where, you know, say it we're in the time period of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Okay, and you know, someone's in the church reading a letter from Paul, and then here we are. It's like, wow, okay, chapter three, wow, he's calling us babies. We're babies and we're on milk. Well, that's kind of hardcore. Some people would be like, oh, my little feelers are hurt. My little feelers are hurt. And there might be somebody that's in the household, somebody who goes to Chloe's fellowship, who's like, yes, that's right. You know, we are just like, you know, as an aggregate, we are, we are like babes in Christ. We're just on milk, and man, I'm so hungry for people to mature, for all of us as one body to mature. 
And then all of a sudden, chapter, five's come, chapter 5 hits. And then boom, people start to leave. The drunkards, the revilers, they're like, man, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. This church is so judgmental. I'm out of here. And it's so sad because, you know, three years in, when the leaven has to be dealt with three years in, you know what should have happened? Where two and a half years prior, or two years and ten months prior, the little tiny bit of leaven should have been dealt with by the elders, by the pastors. Where in the world were these guys? Where were these guys? And so now three years in, Paul, inspired of the Spirit, the Lord is cleaning house. The Lord is cleaning house. People are like, they're, they're, they're getting up and leaving. And say there's a drunkard there who's like, you know what? You're right. I'm a drunkard. Paul is right. He's so right. I'm a drunkard. And feels the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then boom, altar call right there. Lord, forgive me. Lord, you rescued me. You freed me from alcohol. And now I put my trust in you. Forgive me, Lord, because I turned to the God of alcohol. Forgive me, Lord. Wash me clean. Teach me the error of my ways. And then all of a sudden that person is revived again in Christ. Boom. You know, the other drunkards, they're gone. The other revilers, the extortioners, the sexually immoral. Maybe you have sexually immoral who are like, man, you know what? I was having sex like crazy before I was a Christian. And when I became a Christian, I believed in Jesus Christ. And then, you know, this girlfriend called again. This, this the, the boyfriend called again. And I knew I shouldn't have done it. And, you know, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Now, we're going to get into Hebrews eventually in the course of time. But the re-crucification of Jesus Christ, that's not a good thing. But understand that I, I, I don't want to gloss over sin like, you know, like you know, uh, hyper grace type where, you know, go ahead, you know, it's a free-for-all, do whatever and you're good to go. No, we have to mature in Christ. So you might have had sexually immoral who were like, we're out of here. We're going to go worship Diana. She lets us have uh, sex like crazy. And then all of a sudden, maybe they were sexually immoral who was like, you know what? I'm done with that. I'm done with that. You know, Paul says that, you know, I should be like him. And so, you know, I'm going to be like him. I'm going to look forward to my marriage to the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard about that letter that he wrote to Paul or that he wrote to, to Rome. And he says, you know, to, to be married to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to look forward to that marriage. Be faithful to my husband, capital H. And await his coming. So I'm doing away with the sex, the drugs, the this, the that. And you know what? Lord, it's, it's you and me to the end. So now we've had, that's chapter like, you know, five, six, where the Lord is just straight up cleaning house. People have gone. Look at the remnant that remains. And it's sad, you know, when I see these things, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but in chapter 2, or in 2 Corinthians, the second letter to the church in Corinth, we're going to see how the Lord uses Paul as a vessel to say, hey, bring these people back. So the people who leave, it's not like, okay, you're out of here, you're 11, you're out of here, you're going to burn in hell. By some, some people's choices, it might have led them to that. 
But in 2 Corinthians, there's we're going to study that. And I don't want to get too much ahead of myself, but it's like, hey, come back into the fellowship. Now, what's beautiful about that is redemption. What's beautiful about that is that, you know, the, it, it, people coming back to Christ, people, the, the doors wide open, come back, you know, come on, come on, come to Christ. But what's also beautiful is that now you don't have this remnant that's still babies. They're not milk drinkers anymore. They're not novices anymore. They're more mature. They can understand deeper, deeper things. So when this person who was formerly leaven comes back into the church and says, oh man, you know, I had a terrible time. You know, I, 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 you, you know, I was leaven and, you know, I, w- I just had a terrible time and, you know, I'm so thankful to be back with you guys. Oh, this is so awesome. Praise be to the Lord. Oh, by the way, let's go do crack. Everyone's going to be like, no way. No way. They're going to be like, you know, little home fellowships. Little home fellowships where now they're the trainers. They're the teachers. You see, I love this so much because just like, just like our human bodies, you get a cut on your hand, you bleed. Do you know what happens microscopically? I might, you might just get a little cut and you see like a little blood, you know, in a little tiny cut, little paper cut. And little tiny blood and it stings. But like microscopically, all these things, like the white blood cells, the red blood cells, you know, the white cleans everything and, you know, the red comes in and the scab forms and all these different things. And in the course of time, boom, that scab is, or the, the thing scabs over. It doesn't sting anymore. And then, you know, sometimes it's like, wow, you can't even tell there was a cut there. Why? Because the body heals. But what about the body of Christ? When we're one body with many parts. And I make this distinction because I want you to make the distinction as well, my beloved. I want you to make this distinction because the leaven has been dealt with. And now we're going to look at these passages in chapter 13 where it's a lot easier. This, what he teaches us, what the Lord teaches us about love. Because sometimes... What happens when you have pastors and elders who don't correct the defunct pastors and the defunct elders just as in Corinth and they don't deal with the sexually immoral. Maybe they're sexually immoral themselves. They don't deal with the covetous and maybe they're covetous themselves. They don't deal with the idolater, the reviler, the drunkard or the extortioner. And then you get into this love chapter in chapter 13. And today, what happens today is you have people who themselves are sexually immoral. They're revilers, they're extortioners, they're drunkards. And they're saying, yes, let's love one another. Let's do these things. Let's th-. They, they use these verses about love when they themselves are the leaven. That's what you have to be very careful with. Very, very careful with. And it makes it difficult because it makes it difficult because you love, you desire to love in obedience to Christ and living sacrificially unto him. You desire to love, but then there's this disconnect, not your disconnect. Your connection with the Lord is on point. You know, not that we take any glory in that, all glory to the Lord, but just for sake of argument, your obedience to the Lord, your, your abiding in Christ, you're on point. 
Not to take any glory in that. But then the drunkard comes to you. Oh, you know what? We're supposed to love. The sex head comes to you. Oh, yeah, we're supposed to love. Don't worry. Yeah, I went to the strip club last night, but don't worry about it. Yeah, I got drunk last night, but don't worry about it. Yeah, I extorted thousands of dollars from my employer, but don't worry about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm covetous, but don't worry about it. Let's just love. You see? And then you're kind of like, there's a little tug of war in your heart. Because you're, you're on point. Meaning you're, oh, you're abiding in Christ, you're obedient to Christ. And then you have pa- passages like we're going to look at in chapter 13. And you're, you're, there's like a tug of war in your heart. That's, you have to understand what's happening here. It's much easier when the Lord cleans house. It's much easier. Because you're now able to understand and grasp these things. And understand and grow and mature. And then in the course of time, 2 Corinthians is written. Where the Lord says, okay, now bring these people back into the fellowship. It's not on their time. It's not on their timetable. It's on the Lord's time. You have to make that distinction, my friend. My beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, you have to. Because we're living in wild, wild days. And the enemy will do whatever he can. I say to hurt you. But it's deeper than that. He wants to kill you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. And he'll use his vessels. The Lord has his vessels. Satan has his vessels too. And he uses these vessels. You know, he uses the drunkards, the revilers, the idolaters. And sometimes, you know, these are people who believe in Jesus Christ. But don't forget, Brother James, you know, even the demons believe. Even the demons believe. But the demons don't obey Jesus Christ. They don't obey the word of God. You see? You believe, you do well. We choose obedience. Now you're, you're going to fail from time to time. We're in these earth suits. But we learn from those mistakes. And we grow and we mature in Christ. A big problem happens today when you have people who are abiding in Christ. And when a pastor or elder or deacon or bishop has failed in their biblical responsibility. We're going to get to the pastoral epistles. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. The responsibility that pastors and elders have to keep the house clean. Clean. You see? Where you see carnality right and you can't be you, you you can't be a hypocrite if you're a pastor or elder you cannot be a hypocrite you cannot read or listen to our study in Romans 2 you cannot because the lord is using you to correct you know somebody's uh, a brand new believer they're not maturing in Christ well you have to find out what's happening why are they not maturing in Christ they're still doing the crack. They're still doing the sex. You have to talk with them. Bring them back into the fold and keep them clean. 
You see? Now, what happens when that person doesn't want that? Just as, you know, light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light, John 3. You know, they have their choice to make. And because they have their choice to make, now, pastor, elder, you have another choice to make. Are you going to be obedient to the Lord? Because, yes, shepherds feed, shepherds tend, but shepherds also protect. And that's what Paul does. Keeping the Lord's house clean, keeping the church in Corinth clean. Look at this, look at what happens here. In chapter 13, verse 1. Remember in, in the end, the last verse in chapter 12, I will show you a more excellent way. All these beautiful, beautiful things that the Lord has taught us, you know, like the gifts of the Spirit, using Paul. Paul writing about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he says here in verse 1, chapter 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Wow, how cool is this? That it's like, and Paul uses himself. I love this so much. He's not saying, though, though, though this guy speaks like that. No, he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Now, that's the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues. Which is one of many gifts. I say this to my beautiful Pentecostal friends, my beautiful charismatic friends. A lot of times, what, the, what, what in the charismatic and Pentecostal movement, it's, wow, you know, that the, the, the speaking in tongues is evidence of the Holy Spirit. Well, it's one of many gifts, speaking in tongues. There are other gifts. Speaking in tongues is not the only gift. And then what happens in Pentecostal charismatic churches is that you have people who don't speak in tongues, and then they fake it. They fake it because it's like, wow, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't want people to think that I don't have the Holy Spirit. Forget people. I don't want to think that I don't have the Holy Spirit. You see? And so they fake it. And so you go into a Pentecostal church and it's just like a madhouse. You see people, all, all kinds of gibberish. It's not any, even in any language. It'd be one thing if you, know, you have this, you know, the, the brightest Caucasian in the room, like you from like Nebraska. It's like the brightest Caucasian in the room all of a sudden starts, you know, busts out, you know, speaking Swahili. It's like, whoa. But no, you see a lot of gibberish. It's, it's not good when you see that happening. It's not good. There are many, many, many gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not speaking in tongues only. But here in verse 1, speaking in tongues is beautiful. Don't forget, we're going to see in future chapters how when there's speaking in tongues, in and it's the angelic language, heavenly language. And when it happens, there's always the interpreter. Someone speaks in tongues, the interpreter says, you know, thus saith the Lord, this is what the Lord is saying. Maybe it's a warning for the church. Maybe it's a word of comfort for the church. Maybe it's prophecy for the church, a fellowship. Maybe. But where you see the abuse of the gift of tongues, where do the other gifts come into play? You see? I mean, if, it's, if you have a fellowship where everybody speaks in tongues, it's like, well, what about, the, what about everything else? What about all the other gifts? And Paul says here, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, 
but have not love, the absence of love here. I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. It's a process here. I have become, keep in mind, this is a process. It's like devolving. I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Very interesting. This word for brass and cymbal translates as a hollow vessel. I love that so much because it reminds me a cup of nothing. That's what it reminds me of. A cup full of nothing. Say you're super thirsty. You go into the cupboard, open the cupboard, pick up a glass. You grab a glass and then all of a sudden you take a drink. But it's like, wait a second, there's nothing in there. There's nothing in there at all. It's an empty cup. No, you have to, you know, put water in it, you know, put juice in it. And then you drink it. You see? And I love this so much. It's so beautiful because now for love here, when we look at love, love here, it translates as affection, charity, good and goodwill, and applicationally speaking, sacrificial. Sacrificial. Never forget that. These are very, very beautiful passages what we're going to look at in chapter 13 here in 1 Corinthians. Very incredibly, incredibly beautiful passages about this greatest gift. Don't get down on yourself. You're like, man, you know, I can't speak in tongues. Oh, man, you know, I, I don't have interpretation. Oh, man, I don't have, you know, healing. Oh, you know, I, I don't have discerning. I don't have discernment. I don't have, you know, faith like this guy. I don't have faith like this lady. I don't have knowledge. This guy has knowledge. This lady has knowledge. I don't have knowledge like that. Well, give it time. Give it time. The greatest gift is love. And in the course of time, you're going to have knowledge. In the course of time. Be patient. And so, in verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy, these are such beautiful gifts. Such beautiful gifts. But think of this as an equation. You have the gift minus love. It's, it's the empty cup. But the gift plus love, that's, that's it right there. And love is the greatest gift. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. Look at all these gifts. Look. Think of a person that understands all mysteries. A person, male, female, that has this gift of understanding can read the Bible and like knows the Bible like the back of his hand, knows the Bible like the back of her hand. And then think of that gift, of this gift of knowledge and understanding. But in the absence of love, what does that gift become? What does that vessel become? It's like an empty cup. You see? He says, and understand, uh, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith, well, even faith, faith so much so, so that I can remove mountains, he says. Wow, now surely these are desirable things. Yes, they are desirable things. But even of these gifts that Paul says, he says at the end of verse 2, but have not love. Remember the equation, this gift Minus the gift of love. Whew, that's not good. Any gift plus the gift of love. That's. Whew, there's no words to describe. That's beauty. All these. Look at what he's. Prophecy. Tongues. 
understanding, knowledge, all faith, so that I have I can re, that I can remove mountains, but have not love. The equation if is the gift minus love. He says I am nothing. Any gift minus love is ruin. That's the equation. Any gift minus love equals ruin. It's not good. It's not good. He says in verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods, translates as property and possessions, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. While we read this, we're like, wow, that's good, right? Wow, how beautiful. He sells all his goods and, 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 for the benefit of the poor. And though I give my body to be burned, wow, how beautiful. It's like, wow, he's sacrificing his own life. But have not love. Whoa. Whoa. Remember the Lord, he knows the heart. He knows the motives. Any gift minus love is not good. It equals ruin. It's plus love. Plus love. If you have no knowledge, if you have no understanding, if you have no prophecy, remember, the Lord has cleaned house. So, you know, when you have the, the, the crackhead saying, hey, you're supposed to love. No, the crackhead's been dealt with. When you have the sex head, the person who goes to the strip clubs, he says he's a Christian. He goes to the strip, strip clubs every weekend. Oh, you're supposed to love. your No, the Lord has cleaned house. That person has been dealt with. Does that mean I, I have to love only those who love me? No, not at all. But you're growing, you're maturing. You need to understand this concept. You need to employ it. You need to apply it in your life. And as you mature, it's like, boom, now we go fishing for souls. And you still love. But you're not casting pearls before swine. You see? And then the person says, oh, the, the crackhead says, oh, yeah, you're supposed to love. But because now you have love plus knowledge, now you know what's happening. Now you're better equipped. Instead of fishing for minnows, you can fish for sturgeon. The crackhead might be a sturgeon where when you're able to fish for minnows, you can't fish for the sturgeon. But now because you have love plus knowledge, now you can fish for the sturgeon. And in the course of time, you're going to be fishing for great white sharks. And in the course of time, you're going to be fishing for tuna, gray whales. You see? You have to understand because it's a minefield all around us. And that's what you see when you have scaredy cat pastors who don't want to keep the Lord's house clean. Why? Because they love people more than God. They love the Lord. The problem is they love people more than God. More than God. That can never happen. Don't ever, ever let that happen. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder and you're listening, don't ever let that happen. If you have let it happen, repent. Repent and cut it out. Change your ways right here, right now. Because you have to love God. More than anything, more than anyone, you have to love the Lord. People will be the benefactors. In loving the Lord, you'll also love people. And you do love people. But the flock, not your flock. Remember, it's not your 
flock. I don't care if you have one person or 10,000 people. It's not your flock. The people belong to the Lord. And you have people who are basket cases in the fellowships because you don't clean house, oh pastor. Because they have fellowship with the crackhead, fellowship with the sexhead, fellowship with the extortioner, the reviler, the drunkard. Three years arrested development. And that's just in Corinth. I wonder what it's like in some, in some churches where three years is nothing. What if you have 10 years arrested development? 20 years where you have scaredy cat pastors who love people more than God. You see? And God's flock is just a bunch of basket cases. Because, wow, we're supposed to love, we're supposed to love. Yes, we're supposed to love. But when the Lord's house isn't kept clean, a lot of mess happens. Because, wow, I'm supposed to love this brother and he wants me to go to the strip club. So, okay, in the name of love, I'll go with him to the strip club. Oh, in the name of love, I'll go do crack with him. In the name of love, I'm going to do this. In the name of love, I'll go get drunk with him. In the name of love, I'll go out to the bar. It's happy hour. And you have pastors today, elders today, who want to be so, they love people more than God so much that they have their Bible studies in bars during happy hour now. That's what's happening. I say this with all due respect to the Lord because the church is His. The church is His, but even among the church, where is the faithful bride? Where is the wise virgin? Because the foolish virgins are left outside where there's gnashing of teeth. That's what the Bible says. Where is the wise virgin? Wake up, my dear. Wake up. Because the king is coming. The bridegroom is coming. As surely as the Lord lives, He is coming. Look at what Paul says here. I am nothing. He says, though I have all these things, I am nothing. I can feed the poor even. And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, he says in verse 3. It profits me nothing. Very interesting. Remember our study in Acts, Ananias and Sapphira. Wow, you know, from the outside looking in, if we were, if we go in a time machine and we were there, we 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 have our non-spiritual eyes. Wow, Ananias and Sapphira, they're just like Barnabas. Barnabas sold property and gave one hundred percent of the proceeds to the church. Wow, praise be to the Lord. Where's Barnabas? Oh, he's with Paul. Wow, what a strong witness for the Lord. Oh, Ananias and Sapphira, they did the exact same thing. Wow, what a witness for the Lord. Where's Ananias and Sapphira? They're dead. The Lord killed them. What? Why? They lied to the Holy Spirit. But they did just like Barnabas. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. You see, I don't, when I say the Lord cleans house, I don't say that in terms of like, wow, you know, uh, take the leaven and kick them out. They're going to burn in hell. It, it's, 
It's just like uh, leprosy in the Old Testament. A person is inside the camp. They're a leper. The priests have responsibility. Okay, you're a leper. You have to go. You can't, you know, pack your things. Don't even pack your things. I'm going to walk you out. I'll bring your things to you. We're going to stay at this. You're going to stay out here outside the camp because you're a leper. You're unclean. Inside the camp is the clean. You are unclean and you need to go outside the camp. And I'm going to check on you every day. Every day I'm going to check on you. You see? And then, you know, the priest goes, you know, first of all, you've heard me say this before in our study in Leviticus and even a little bit in Numbers, but do you know how dead that priest has to be? It's one thing if a guy, I mean, you know, I speak as a guy, but if a guy says, hey, I, I have leprosy, it's like, okay, let me see. And I don't care where it is on the body. It's like, okay, that's fine. No, I mean, it's a big deal, but I mean, like, carnally speaking, it's like, okay, let's deal with this. You're unclean. Okay, let's go. I'm speaking, I'm not advocating the law, but I'm just giving an example if we were in the law. Okay, you're unclean. Let's let's go. We have, we have to do this to honor the Lord and be obedient to the Lord. This is what we have to do. And I'm going to check on you every day. But then what if a female comes? I think I'm a leper. Now it's a totally different ballgame because it's like, you know, it, it's like, you know, the, the, I, don't, I shouldn't say totally different ballgame, but like carnally speaking, that's what I mean. Carnally speaking, it's a totally different ballgame. Do you know how dead the priest has to be? one thing if it's on her arm or on her leg but what if it's somewhere else do you know how dead this priest has to be let me see i mean not, not right there but like let's go into private chambers and let's see you see okay it's leprosy let's cover you up in here let's walk outside the camp same thing just like the man because it's uncleanness Now you have priests like Eli's wicked son, wicked sons. And Eli didn't want to correct his sons. He wanted to be his son's best friend. You have parents today who want to be their kids' best friends. Oh, I just want to be my kid's friend. I want to be my kid's friend. Well, you're stupid. You need to be your kid's mom or dad. That's not good. Parent, kids need a parent. And I say this because I've talked to kids before. <laughs> and the kids who have the parent who want to be their, like, their friend, they act like their friends. You know, oh, I want to be my best friend. I'm, you have like 40 or 50-year-old adults and they dress like they're teenagers. Stupid. And then they talk and behave like they're teenagers. 40, 50-year-old people, they do all the, the things that kids do. And I've talked to these kids before, and it's like, yeah, my, my mom, my dad, it's like, you know, I can't stand it, you know. You see? And just like Eli, he didn't want to correct his kids. And because he didn't want to correct his kids, his kids were disobedient. Oh, come here, you're a leper? Okay, yeah, let's look at it. It's a female. You see? And they were having sex with the females. And because Eli didn't correct his kids, you know what the Lord did? He, he killed them. He killed, the, he killed the, the kids and the high priest. Eli. He 
killed them. And there was no widespread revelation in those days except he spoke to Samuel. Little Samuel. Little Samuel. How of Hannah's womb. Beautiful, beautiful Hannah. I love these people so much. Oh my goodness. It's so powerful. How the Lord teaches us these things. He shows us clean and unclean. Clean among the camp. Clean among the priesthood. Clean among the Kohanim. Clean of the new covenant. And he also shows us the unclean. He presents to us the unclean high priest, the unclean priests, the unclean in the camp. So now there's leprosy in the camp. Okay, this leprosy has to be dealt with. Let's go outside the camp. I'm going to check on you. Male, female. It, 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 forget male, female. It's about uncleanness. You see? It takes two to tango, sexually speaking, you know? A week later, two weeks later, whatever time period, you know, I'm going to check on you. Okay, two weeks, you're still a leper. Okay, you have to stay outside. A month, you're still a leper. Okay, whatever time period. Okay, now, you know, two months in, you're clean now. Okay, now there's a process. You come back in the camp, but you can't, when you're tent at home with your family, you can't stay in that tent. You have to stay on this little side tent. And while you're staying here, before we do that, we got to do this, you know, we have to sacrifice you present your offering, and it's a ceremonial, ceremonially clean in accordance to the law. But it's the exact same thing in accordance to the new covenant. And I don't say the exact same thing, but spiritually speaking, the ex- a shadow of the things to come, the leaven has to be dealt with. It's like leprosy outside the camp. It's not an act of hate. People will say, oh, you're full of hate. You're full of hate. You're full of hate. People will say that. And if you're a people pleaser, you won't like that. And you'll change your ways in accordance to the people. Okay, you know what? I'm going to change. You know, yes, the Bible says this, but I love you so much. Okay, that's fine. No big deal. Go ahead and have sex like crazy. Go ahead and do your crack. Go ahead and do your strip clubs. Go ahead. You know, no big deal. Yes, God is love and I love you. No big deal. That's what you have today. And people will say, you're so mean. You're so mean. You're so mean. And if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you have to love God more than people. You must. Love, you'll be alone. <laughs> That's for sure. As surely as the Lord lives. <laughs> you'll be alone. But it's just a vapor. There's a remnant. You have to care for the remnant. You want as many people as possible to be the remnant, but they have a choice to make. The people have their own choice to make. You see? And you cannot be a hypocrite. You can't tell people about pornography when you yourself are a sex head. 
You can't tell people about crack when you yourself are a crackhead. You see? You can't tell people about, you know, oh, don't be an extortioner when you yourself are extortioning money from the church. You can't do that. Here in Corinth, this chapter, chapter 13, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful chapter about love. But a lot of saints today have a messed up understanding of love because the pastors, the elders, they haven't kept the Lord's house clean or they themselves are compromised. And you have a lot of pastors, a lot of you know, so-called pastors, They write books about love. Meanwhile, they themselves go grave soaking. An abomination before the Lord. You have people write books. They call it, they use the word crazy. They call it crazy love. And yet they themselves go grave soaking. They condone the grave soaking. They partner with the grave soakers. Oh, but yeah, crazy love. New York Times bestseller. Here, read this book. Crazy love, crazy love, crazy love. No, that's stupid love. That's unbiblical. Crazy love, crazy love. I'm going to go grave soaking. And let's call it crazy love. Scratch out love and just call it crazy. You see? Apostasy of the last days. Apostasy is prophesied. Never forget, apostasy is prophesied. And... Before we get into verse 4, in light of knowing that apostasy is prophesied, turn with me to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Okay, Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 3, the disciples of Jesus Christ say, Tell us, when will these these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The disciples asked him, What will be your coming? What will be the sign of your coming? In verse 7, chapter 24 is powerful because the Lord gives indicators. A lot of these indicators are also spoken of in other passages, Old Testament and New Testament. But this particular passage, it's like a a, a culmination of a lot of prophecies. In chapter 7, or or, or chapter 24, verse 7, the Lord says, For nation will rise against nation. Now, this translates as, For ethnos will rise against ethnos. You know what this translates into? Ethnic backgrounds, race, that's what it translates into. Race will rise against race or ethnic backgrounds against ethnic backgrounds. What do we see in the world today? We see ethnos rising up against ethnos. Racial division, racial division. Prophecy is being fulfilled right before our eyes. Right before our very eyes, prophecy is being fulfilled. And it's going to get worse. 
and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. You see this rise of earthquakes. Even the scientists say, you know, that there's all these earthquakes happening all over the place. And you know what they label it as? They label it as climate change, global warming. It's all climate change. Politicians. I teach from America. I don't know where you are in the world, but we got some crazy politicians here in America. There's this one politician, uh, Cortez, they call her AOC, Ocasio-Cortez, and she says that racial division is a result of climate change. She blames racism on climate change. You see? The strong delusion is also prophesied. Pestilences, you know, read the news articles. There's locusts in Africa, in you know, in Somalia, in Middle Eastern countries, in in the Gulf Gulf Arab states. And what's happening? There's this locust like crazy. It's destroying crops. The locusts are like crazy. They're they're just destroying everything. And what did the scientists say? Oh, it's climate change. It's climate change. Global warming. Global warming. Well. The Bible has something to say about global warming. Uh-uh. Since I said it. I'll go there. Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now, this is biblical global warming. Biblical global warming. Why is there this great uh, effort? To prevent this from happening. We know what is written here. In spite of the Lord, Brother Peter pens this down. Well, I say pen it down, but you know, whatever ink he used. The heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And you have the world today that wants to prevent this from happening. You know what they're really trying to prevent? The return of our king. That's what they're really trying to prevent from happening. They don't know it. Some of them, I'm sure they're of, of, the, of the Luciferian type. They know. But the main line, they have no clue. It's spiritual. It's spiritual. In the heavenly realm. But yet you have this global agenda to prevent this from happening. Why is that? Why blame all the racial tension on climate change? Oh, the locusts are here, climate change. Oh, there's racial division, climate change. We have to stop this. The world is getting hotter and hotter. We have to stop this. Spiritually, you know what they really are doing or attempting to do? Prevent the return of Jesus Christ. That's what they're trying to do. They don't know it. 
A lot of people buy into that because it's the science. Trust the science. Trust the science. Science is a god these days. Trust the science. Trust the science. Okay, you know, you want to trust the science? They say, you know, a boy's a girl now. A girl's a boy now. A boy wants to be a girl? Go ahead. Do your, take your hormone therapy. Go ahead. They arrest the parents now. A parent doesn't want, to, doesn't want this to happen. They arrest him. That's what's happening in Western culture. That's what's happening. It's crazy, crazy town. It's going to get worse. This is nothing. It's going to get worse. So let's go back to Matthew 24. We see that, you know, verse 7, Matthew 24, verse 7, for nation will rise against nation or ethnos against ethnos, race against race. Why do you even bring this up, you might ask? I thought we're talking about love. We're supposed to be on the love chapter. Well, let's look at chapter, or, or still in chapter 24 of Matthew, but let's look at verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Love will wax cold. That's how it translates. Love will wax cold. Now, you light a candle. What happens when you blow the, like the flame is there. You see the candle with the wax drip down. But what happens when you blow the candle out? You know what happens to the wax? It gets cold. It's not hot anymore. It's no longer in liquid. So the candle goes out. The wax cools and it gets hard. That's what the Bible says will happen to love, agape love. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold or will wax cold. That's what's going to happen. It is prophesied. It will happen. But for you, for you, you have to protect your heart. Even when the world hates you, you have to protect your heart. Even when family hates you, you have to protect your heart. Even when your friends hate you, you have to protect your heart. Even when people call you crazy, you have to protect your heart. Why? Because look at verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Oh, you're so crazy. You're so stupid. Let's trust the science. What does science say? Oh, all, all life is carbon-based. That's interesting. So you mean that men, men came from the earth? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you see? <laughs> Read the passage in Genesis. Adam from the earth. Oh, we trust in the science. All life is carbon-based. <laughs> crazy. We live in crazy town. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. People will hate you. And it's going to get to the point where he, people hate you so much that they're going to want you dead. That's how much they're going to hate you. The two witnesses that are going to come on the scene at some point in time. I mean, we know when, but... Well, not when, but we know, get an idea when that's going to happen. During the 70th week of Daniel. But when the Antichrist kills them, the world will rejoice. That's what the Bible says. The world will rejoice. Why? Because they were offended. You see? What does Jesus Christ say? Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. That's what our Lord says. 
The word of God will offend you. You know why? Because the Lord confronts the natural man, the natural woman. It's you and me who have to yield to him. Yield to the word. Not the other way around. We don't make the word yield to us. Don't ever do that. It's you and me that have to yield to him. And yield to his spirit. And his spirit will never go against his word. Never. That's you identify another uh, pneumaticos. Numos, another spirit. It's part of spiritual warfare. Somebody comes to you, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, praise be to the Lord, let's go grape soaking. What? That's another spirit. That's not the spirit of our Lord. Because the spirit of our Lord will never make you do an abomination before the Lord that's from His Word. Will never make you go against His Word. But yet, what do you have? You have a lot of baby Christians today who don't know the Bible. And so because they don't know the Bible, their pastor says, okay, we're going to go grave soaking. And okay, let's go grave soaking. Wow, praise be to the Lord. No, it doesn't work that way. Or you get this book, New York Times bestseller. Oh, look, Crazy Love. I'm going to read this book, Crazy Love. It's going to teach me how to love. Oh, look, I see him with the grave soaker, the grave soaking pastor. You see? And these are the ones who warn against the hardliners, just like uh, Rick Warren. Rick Warren says, oh, yeah, we don't need to study the eschatology. You know, these are the fear mongers. Fear mongers? You don't want to read Revelation? It's not your flock. You, you want to te- you, you teach that, you know, to omit things from the Bible? And you call yourself a pastor? No. That's not a pastor. A pastor won't do that. One spirit. The same spirit. You always have to keep this in mind when you study your Bible and you see these writings about the same spirit, one mind, because the soothsayers of today, they'll say, oh yeah, let's be one. Let's have unity. Let's have unity. And I'm all for unity. But unity in accordance with the Word of God. Not another Jesus, lowercase j. Not another Jesus, because in verse 20, Matthew 24, verse 24, for false Christ and false prophets will rise. People will present false Christ like crazy. And they'll use these love, like we're in the love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, they'll use these passages. Oh yeah, let's just love. Sacrificial love, it's good. Let's just love like the Bible says. Yes, the Bible says this, but don't forget, the Lord has cleaned house. Don't forget. We're living in such incredible, incredible times. And the church is asleep. The church is sound asleep. But even the slumber of the church is prophesied. And even the apostasy of the church is prophesied. A defection away from truth. Not so with the remnant. The remnant is wide awake. You see? He said, why are we in Matthew 24? I thought we were supposed to be talking about love. Yes, but you must protect your heart. Because don't forget that love will 
wax cold. Love will wax cold. But not so with the remnant. You see, you must protect your heart. Even when they hate you, you must protect your heart. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13. And here in 1 Corinthians 13, in verse 4, love, this is agape, agape. I mean, it's agape in verse 1, 2, but agape, sacrificial love. Remember, affection, charity, good, and goodwill, these are the attributes, but applicationally, agape love is sacrificial. Sacrificial. Love suffers long in verse 4. You know what I love about this? Love suffers long. What do we read in the Old Testament and New Testament about the long-suffering of our Lord? And when you love sacrificially, you also suffer long. Your heart is aligned with that of our Lord. Love suffers long. You see? And is kind. Love does not envy. Very interesting. No coveting. No envy. No jealousy. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not a braggart or boastful. It's not puffed up. It's not proud or haughty. That's love. Sacrificial love. Now remember, I I can't stress this enough. The leaven in Corinth here in chapter 13 has been dealt with. And when the leaven is dealt with, these passages are not just easy to apply they're easy to employ as Christians now does that mean we love only those who love us no way no way but at the same time we must make this distinction and we must exercise the mind exercise the heart if you will to understand that wait a second you know I mean when, if, if somebody were to go to war, they're, they're not going to go to war. They have training to do before they can go to war. If someone were to do, to do brain surgery, they have training before they can do brain surgery. It, there's a period of time to learn, to understand, and yes, even employ and apply and employ these what we're reading here today. And when we look at these, I mean, okay, verse four, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. I'm reading from verse five. Is not provoked, thinks no evil. Do you know how much easier, how much easier this is when you're not hanging out with the sexually immoral. When, name the brother. Name the brother or name the sister. When that has been dealt with, when the leaven has been dealt with, and you're not hanging out with the, uh, the, the covetous, the revilers, the extortioners, the drunkards, these things are much easier, not just to apply, but to, okay, let's look at the employee later. But we apply it in our lives. 
And when you're fellowship, when you're with a fellowship of believers who have the same mind, like-minded, the same spirit, it's a very special unity. Um, it's very, very special unity. And remember, Paul says, not of the word. He says, anybody named up. He says, I, I didn't mean the sexually immoral and the covetous of the world. You see, he says, anybody named a brother. So now, now that the leaven has been dealt with, and we're, we're not, we're not, you know, having fellowship with, um, you know, the, 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 the drunkard, the sexually immoral in the church, anyone named a brother or a sister, that leaven has been dealt with. The pastor has dealt with it. The elder has dealt with it. And so we have a remnant of like-minded people. Now, remember Paul says, any, not of the world. He says, I didn't mean anybody in the world. And so now when we employ these things, employ these attributes of love, it's a lot easier because now we're talking to the non-believer. We're talking to the non-believer. We're employing these things, attributes of love. Yes, there's amongst each other for the fellowship of the saints. But then at the same time, going out into the world talking to the sexually immoral who don't know the Lord, the covetous who don't know the Lord. We're going fishing. We're going fishing. You might be fishing for minnows or you might be fishing for whales. You might be fishing for sturgeon or you might be fishing for trout. But we're fishing. You see? And when we get into 2 Corinthians, this leaven, it's like, okay, you know what? Come back into the fellowship. Come back into the fellowship. This sex that you've been having, cut it out. No more. There's a drunkard, no more. Because now when they come back into the fellowship, you're going to have more mature, more people that are like Chloe than before in chapter 3 when everybody was a baby. You see, just like in the Old Testament, the leaven goes out, but then they're clean again and the leaven comes back in or, or the, un, the leaven goes out. The unleavened comes back in. But the same thing happens in accordance to the new covenant. The leaven goes out and then the unleavened comes back in. You see, I mean, it's it's kind of easy. I, I shouldn't say that, you know, I, I mean, I, I mean, it is, okay, it is kind of easy. I mean, it is very easy. The problem comes when you have all this craziness that comes in. That's, that's where the problems arise, when the craziness comes in. Corinth comes into the church instead of the church going into Corinth. The world comes into the church instead of the church going into the world. You see, that's, that's what happens. Pastors and elders have a God-given responsibility to keep the house clean. The house of the Lord, not your house. I mean, you do have a responsibility to keep your house clean too. Otherwise, you couldn't be a pastor. You couldn't be an elder. Your house has to be clean. But as we got the Lord's house, you have to keep the Lord's house clean. How does that happen? You have to teach the word. You have to teach the word. Feed the flock. Tend the flock. 
Then you have to protect the flock. You see? You have to protect the flock. And you have to keep the Lord's house clean. You, you love people, yes, but you can never love God. You can never love people more than God. God has to be first, number one, preeminent. And when that happens, you will lovingly talk to a brother, talk to a sister. Hey, you know, this sex, this drugs, this whatever, it's got to stop. It's got to stop. You know, don't, don't partake of communion unless you're clean. Because if you're unclean, you know, you bring judgment upon yourself. Oh, you're so mean, you're so mean. No, no, no. The Bible says this, so it's to look out for your soul. It's to protect you. Oh, you're so mean, you're so mean. You see, people will make fun of you. People will call you crazy. Meanwhile, they're reading their crazy love books. <laughs> it's so backwards. Oh, you're so mean, you're so mean. And they go to the New York Times bestseller and read their crazy love books. The Grave Soaker books. You see? Stupid. Crazy. Apostasy. We're living in the days of apostasy. And it's going to get worse. This is nothing. It's going to get much worse. But you must protect your heart. You have to protect your heart. And so look at verse 5 about these attributes of love, about love does not behave rudely, unbecoming, unbecoming, does not behave in that manner, does not seek its own. You know, everybody's always, you know, looking out for me, what's in it for me, what's in it for me, what's in it for me? Well, that's not a good mindset to have. It is not provoked. Love is not provoked. And what's so beautiful about having a biblical perspective on life and eternity is that when it is not love is not provoked, it will help you in your walk when you have a biblical understanding of life and of eternity and the life to come. Because people will hate you and you'll love them even more. You see, you'll be sad for them. It'll break your heart. People will call you names. They'll say you're stupid. You know, they'll do their grave soaking. They'll make fun of you. They'll call your names. They'll tell friends, don't go. Don't go see this guy. Don't go to that fellowship. Don't do this. Don't go hang out with that guy. Don't hang out with this girl. They're crazy. They're crazy. They're legalists. And you'll love them even more. Why? Because it's breaking your heart. Number two, you're like rejoicing because you're suffering shame for the name of Christ. But you still, you love their soul. A big problem happens because we have churches on every corner. You know, I teach from America. We have churches on every corner. Someone could say, oh, I'm, I'm leaving this church and I'm going to go to this church. Unbeknownst to them, they're going into poison. That's not to have an elitist mentality. But a lot of churches, they teach crazy town. They teach crazy town. I mean... Pastors who, in our locale, who will dare not touch any judgmental books. They will not touch any judgmental topics. They teach topically on purpose. So they can, you know, appeal to the senses. Pastors who won't teach revelation. Pastors who won't teach any books about uh, 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 the coming judgment. I wonder if they listen to Rick Warren who says, don't teach those books of the Bible. 
you see. But you must be a Berean. I don't care wherever you fellowship. The large majority of listeners, I don't know where you go to church, but if you do go to church, but you have to be a Berean because pastors can go off into crazy town. Elders can go off into crazy town. And when that happens, you know, you'll be the one to talk to your pastor. Hey, pastor, you know what? I know you like to go grave soaking, but it's not biblical. You know what, pastor? You know, you're teaching craziness. You see? That's what has to happen. And you know what? It, it, it's quite possible. I've spoken to many believers who they've left the church. They've left the church. And they have little home fellowships. Praise be to the Lord. I think that aligns more with the last day's model, the home fellowship. Because judgment comes first in the house of God. That's what the Bible says. It is prophesied to happen. Judgment comes first in the house of God. Which tells us that the church has to be in a pretty crazy town in the last days. You see? Oh, you're so crazy. You're so crazy. You're so crazy. Here, let's read our crazy love book and go grave soaking. You see? <laughs> it's backwards. But when you have this understanding, is not provoked. Love is not provoked. You see? It's like, wow, it's like you care for souls. Thinks no evil. You know what's so powerful about this? Or it, it, some translations say keeps no account of evil. Keeps no accounts of evil. But in order for this to happen, the old man has to be dead. The old woman has to be dead. That's the old nature in accordance to the flesh. That's walking according to the flesh. But that's what love does. Sacrificial love, agape love. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity. Does not rejoice in iniquity or more morally wrong. As defined by scripture, I must add. Does not rejoice in iniquity because a lot of times what's happening today is people say, oh, you know, they define morality by their own standards. Your truth, your truth. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You'll hear people say, oh, what is your truth? What is your truth? No, truth is the Bible. The Word of God and the Word became flesh. This is truth. Because people say your truth, your truth, they're like it's breeding ground for idolatry. And it's so sad because kids today, they go to school and they have these school counselors who will tell, oh, what's your truth? Oh yeah, you're right in accordance with your truth. You're right. Oh, I don't want to judge you. So you're right. It's your truth. That's what they're telling kids. Kids receiving, kids are so impressionable. So moldable. Yeah, these fourth graders, fifth graders, and, you know, they seek counsel. And they go to their counselors and they say, okay, yeah, you know, you're a boy, but you want to be a girl. Okay, if that's your truth, okay, let's do this. And they, like, teach about, okay, this is what's happening to you. We trust the science. That's what's happening today. As they get into junior high, they get into high school. See, oh, it's your truth according to your truth. That's a lie. Truth is the word of God. Truth is the Bible. 
does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth as defined by Scripture. When the world says your truth, deviation away from real truth, which is the Bible. Then verse 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, I must say, in accordance to Scripture, you must stand on the rock. Because you read verse 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Well, if we're to believe all things, you know how dangerous verse 7 is when you're not standing on the rock? You see, you must stay on the rock. Believes all things. That's dangerous if you're off the rock. Then you see this correlation between chapter 5 and chapter 13, where you hear this exhortation, where we make strong emphasis that the Lord has cleaned house. Because if the Lord's house isn't kept clean, I mean, if you, if, if somebody's a, a, a sex head for 10 years, arrested development on milk for 10 years, and say they're a sex head, the strip clubs, everything, and then all of a sudden you're going to have fellowship with that person. And you have fellowship with that person, and that person tells you, Oh, yeah, you know, uh, X, Y, Z. And you have that tug war in your heart. What do I do? You know, I love the Lord and I want to obey the Lord. But the Lord wants me to love and I want to love. And, you know, it's so sad for this guy. And what do I do? What do I do? Okay, this guy... This guy wants to go to the strip club. Okay, I guess, you know, if for the name, in the name of love, I guess I'll go with him. You see? That's what happens. That's what happened. They'll even throw scripture at you. Oh, you're supposed to love. You know, don't judge me. You're so judgmental. Don't judge me. The Bible says we're supposed to love. And the Bible says here in chapter 13, verse 7 of 1 Corinthians, that you're so supposed to believe all things. And I'm telling you the truth. So come with me. Let's go to the strip club. The world has its own brand of truth. But that truth is a lie. That's a lie. Truth comes from the word of God. Scripture. Holy scripture. That's where truth comes from. Chapter 13 is such a beautiful chapter. But there's dangers behind it when not studied and viewed properly. Because you look at verse 7 alone, believes all things. You see, it's like, wait a second. So if I'm supposed to love, does that mean I believe all things? Does that mean I believe what the Hindus say? Does that mean I believe what the, uh, uh, the Catholics say? Now, I'm, I'm kind of going, you know, overboard. But, you know, I'm... I'm in one way, I'm going overboard, but in another ways, I'm not at all because it's happening. It's happening. For the church, the church in the last days is false, apostate, or true. Do you know what that means? That means that the majority 
are being pulled away. I shouldn't say the majority are being pulled away. The majority are walking away. That's what's happening. And of the remnant that remains, it's a 50-50 split. Ten are foolish and ten are wise. You see? That's, there's so much beauty in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. So much beauty. So much power. So much... I mean, I just want to dive in and just die here. But there's also some dangers with it. Because the sex head's going to come to you. The crackhead's going to come to you. The meth head's going to come to you. The extortioner's going to come to you. The reviler, the drunkard is going to come to you. Oh, you're supposed to love. You're supposed to love. Yeah, believe what I tell you. You're supposed to believe all things. You see? And the unsuspecting Christian goes hook, line, and sinker. That's the danger. So you have the tug of war in your heart. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You take it to your knees. You fight the good fight on your knees. It's just like, just like the Old Testament. Just like the Old Testament. Leprosy. The leprosy needs to be dealt with. See, outside the camp. It's the same way, New Covenant. Same way. Uncleanness, leprosy is uncleanness. And it has to be dealt with. Now, I have to say this too. You, my beautiful friend, might be in a situation where you hear these things. You might even have your Bible open. I hope you do. I pray that you do. But you might have your Bible open and you're reading this and you're just... It's painful. It's painful. And you read these and it's like wishful thinking. Because maybe you've been abused. Maybe you've been a victim. Someone who should have shown you love, but didn't show you love. And maybe even from a Christian. Maybe from a pastor. Maybe from a youth leader. Have you ever spoken to an adult? An adult who has been molested by their youth leader? Molested by their pastor? Molested by an elder sexually? It kills me. Because... You talk to them about, you say the name Jesus Christ and they want nothing to hear. They don't want to hear that name. Because their association with Jesus Christ, the name above all names, is pain and suffering and sexual molestation. To which I'm not trying to say that molestation is good on adults. I don't want to come off that way. But for a child, it is devastating. It's devastating to adults. But for a child, for innocence to be shattered, it is devastating. 
And maybe, maybe you hear my voice and you're a recipient. You're on the receiving end of that kind of abuse. Maybe, maybe emotional abuse. And you read these passages and you're like, no way. This is wishful thinking. Of all the Christians I know, nobody loves like this. Look what the pastor did to me. Look at what the youth leader did to me. Nobody was looking. And look at what the youth leader did to me. The youth pastor. Well, let me tell you something. That person was a wolf who should have been dealt with biblically. Should have been dealt with. I can't take away the hurt. I can't. I can't take away the pain. But the Lord can. Jesus can. You're a victim of sin. You're a victim of someone's choices. But we're not in paradise yet. This world is fallen. It's going to get worse. There's a better way and there's a better place. It's with Jesus Christ. It kills me. You know, to talk to non-believers and, you know, even the atheists or even like the, the agnostics. The agnostics, they kind of a little bit more arrogant to me. It, 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 but I get it, you know. But, you know, I don't believe, but I, I'm an agnostic. You know, they try to sound like they're smart. You know, they're brainiacs. But what I find, the atheists are the one that break my heart the most. The atheists. Because sometimes they're atheists. But they used to believe. And those are the ones that kill me. Because when you talk to an atheist, this is just in my experience. When I talk to an atheist, they have valid points. Valid, you know, they'll, they'll talk about the hypocrisy they see in the church. Very valid arguments. Very valid points. I don't believe in Jesus Christ because, you know, this pastor does this. This past so-called pastor. They don't say, they just say pastor. I say so-called pastor. But they say, this pastor teaches this. This pastor behaves like this. This pastor does drugs. This pastor is a sex head. This pastor is extortionist. This pastor does this. And I get it. I understand it. I'm in agreement. What does that have to do with Jesus Christ? You see? And that might be you. You might be listening to my voice. That might be you. Maybe you're not a full-blown atheist, but maybe you are an atheist. Maybe you're flirting with atheism because you're so done with Christianity. You're so done with Christians. You know what? That's okay. That's okay. If you're done with Christians, that's okay. But you must follow Christ. You must follow Christ. You see? And the Lord has people as patterns. Look for them. Walk with them. Because they're going to paradise. Paradise is not on this earth. 
not on this earth. I've searched. <laughs> it's not here. <laughs> and so we look at these passages and it's like, wow, you know, sometimes, I mean, sometimes you hear messages about chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians and it's, it's, it's too flowery for me. Sometimes you hear those messages and it's, it's too flowery. It's like, you know, you look around and you see like all the women. They're like, oh, oh, you know, this is so nice. And I get it. You know, women have certain feelers that I don't have. I get it. But you, I, I, I see like, you know, you see a couple women, women over here, women over there. And they're oh, this is so sweet. All this. And then you see the beta males. Oh, this is so sweet. That just... It, I, I don't roll that way. I get mad. <laughs> I get, I get mad at, at the hypocrisy, and that's I get mad at. I'm not mad like a carnally carnally mad, but I mean I'm not gonna like you know kill anybody. But I get mad because I think about my conversations that I've had with the atheists, and I do have a couple atheists in my mind as I speak. Who make very valid points. And now they're in the wilderness. Lost in the wilderness. Because of the hypocrisy that they have seen. And you have people, pastors talking about, oh yeah, let's just love, let's just love, let's just love. Well, doctrinally speaking, yes, let's love. But let's look at other passages to buttress this gift of love. A beautiful, the greatest gift. And if that were to happen, maybe we would have less people leaving the flock, walking away from the flock, which is prophesied to happen. Apostasy. See, where are the shepherds? Where in the world are the shepherds? If you have been on the receiving end of abuse, sexual, moral, or, or, or emotional, and you read these passages, you hear these passages, and you're just like, whatever, dude, whatever, this... Believe in the Lord. Don't blame the Lord. Don't blame the Lord for what other Christians have done to you. You see, they're the ones that have to suffer. They're the ones, maybe not in this life, but in the life to come. If they don't repent, their names can be taken out of the book of life. You see, I have a very hard time with sexual uh, molestation. I, I hate it. I have to be very careful because I hate it a lot. I have to be very, very careful. I just don't like it. That's like, but yet it's it's happening. And you have churches today that protect the, 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 the wolves 
churches today who protect the wolves. Look at the Catholic Church. I say Catholic Church, but I don't, I, I don't acknowledge Catholicism as anything, any way related to the church. If you're Catholic and you're listening, leave the Catholic religion. It is unbiblical. Unbiblical. Come out of for my people. There's a better camp. There's a better way. The truth and the life. But you have the Catholics who protect pedophiles. They, they take the pedophile priests and they move them to different, uh, different churches, different uh, 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 parishes, different, uh, you know, the, the cops are on to someone over here. And in the middle of the night, what do they do? They transfer them to a different fellowship. Protecting the pedophiles. You see? That's a shepherd? No way. No way. And then we have to look at Let's look at Romans chapter 12 really quick. Romans 12. And here in Romans 12, look at verse 9. Romans 12 verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Pretense Pretentious love. That's what you see sometimes in the church. It's got to be real. It's got to be. Remember, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. You see people love like Martha. You know, pretentious. It's fake. It's got to be real. It's got to be genuine. It's got to be real. But even when you do see that, and you know, you see that from time to time. You see the... The, the pretentious love, you see the patronizing love, and it's the, the Martha kind of love. But even when you see that, even still, you must protect your heart. And you love still. You see? On this side of eternity, the large majority of people, if not all, will hate you. They'll hate you. They'll call you legalist. They say you've lost your mind. They'll, make, they'll say all kinds of things. They'll pull people away from you. They say, you're so crazy, you're so crazy, you're so crazy. Then they'll go read their crazy love books with the grave soakers. That's what's happening. Let's look at, you know, look at the landscape. I mean, you've heard me say before, that's like a minefield. At my minefield you don't know where the mines are. When you walk through a minefield, you don't have no idea where the mines are. One step could kill you and kill those around you. One step. That's what the last days is like. But when you're, you have this knowledge from the Bible, this understanding from the Bible, Lamp unto our feet. The Lord protects us. The Lord guides us. He guides you. And protects you. You see? That's what's so beautiful. And you must love still. You must protect your heart. Because in the last days, it is prophesied, love will wax cold. The fake love, the pretentious love, the... Patronizing love, that's for somebody's, they make their own choice, but you see it. 
you see it. No, your love, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit, let it be genuine in your heart. Let it be genuine. Because in verse 7 here, love bears all things. Still in chapter 3, going back to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. You see, the endurance of love. The endurance of love. Speaking about endurance, our study on Wednesday, Balaam, you know, his endurance was placed in the scale and found wanting. For you, for you, what is the endurance of your love, knowing that love never fails? As a gift of the Holy Spirit, love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, a beautiful gift, the gift of prophecy. Remember chapter 12, verse um, 10, uh, one of the gifts of the Spirit is the gift of prophecy. And so here in verse 8, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Very interesting, because understand, prophecies today will one day be history. One day be history. When I was a kid, I was so anxious to get my driver's license. So anxious. I mean, I think I wanted to drive ever since I was like three years old. You know, it's like, wow, I can't wait to get my driver's license. You know, you do every, you know, make when you're a kid, you make carts. When I was a kid, you know, we made carts, you know, make little go-karts or whatever. We did all these things. Wow, we can't wait to drive, make it go fast, you know, do all these things. It's like, wow, we can't wait to get. And then you have some older friends. It's like they get their driver's license and you're kind of like, oh, man. But, you know, you're cool with them. So you get to hang out with them. They drive you all over all over the place. And then finally, you know. Like, I was terrible in tests when I was a kid. I got like a C, C's and D's, a couple B's, you know, on tests, you know. But my driver's test, it was like straight up one shot, one kill. You know, you take the test, you pass the test. I studied for that thing like there was nobody's business, you know. It's just like, wow, I'm taking this test, I'm going to pass this test. Driver's test, piece of cake. Why? Because I studied like crazy. You know, I was taught, you know, how to drive. And then boom, pass, get my driver's license. I look forward to that so much. But now I've been driving for years. It's like no big deal. Driving is no big deal. Why? Because I've had my life driver's license for a while now. It's no big deal. The same thing is going to happen with prophecies that we see in Scripture. Great expectation we have in looking forward to the return of our Lord. And rightfully so. It's beautiful looking forward to the, the coming of Christ. But all these things that we look forward to, it's going to be history one day. Just like my driver's license. And maybe if we're in the same boat, maybe like your driver's license. When you were a kid, did you look forward to getting your driver's license? Well, depending on how old you are, you know, maybe that's maybe those days are gone because you've been driving for decades. You don't. There's no expectation. There's no anticipation of the driver's license because you have it already. But the same thing is going to happen to prophecy. Every jot, every tittle of Holy Scripture will be fulfilled. As surely as the Lord lives will be fulfilled. We won't look forward to these things anymore. Because they'll come to pass. 
just as verse 8. But whether there are prophecies, they will, fa they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Remember, speaking in tongues, it's a heavenly language. But when we're in heaven, <laughs> what's the need for the gift of tongues when the heavenly language, when we are like the angels, as the Bible reveals? You see? Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. You see, it's all partial. Now, if you're a young believer, a brand new believer, and you just came to the Lord, or maybe, maybe you've been on milk for a long period of time, and you're feeling kind of down and out, like, man, you know what? I don't have knowledge. I don't have wisdom. I don't have, I have an understanding. Well, knowledge is good to have. It's a gift. It's not the greatest gift. Prophecy is a gift. It's not the greatest gift. Because the verse 9, we know in part. We prophesy in part. You see, it's all partial. Partial. Knowledge will vanish away. Tongues will cease. Prophecies, they will fail. All of it will be history. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. You see, the partial things are gone. No need to prophesy anymore. No need for knowledge anymore because we're going to see Christ face to face. We're going to be in our glorified bodies. You see, no need to speak in tongues in this heavenly language when we're in heaven. You see, no need. It's going to be done away. And I love verse 11 so much because Paul speaks, he speaks of himself when I was a child, he says. This is Paul. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. Pause here for a moment. I have to say something. Verse 11, he says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. Pause right here because most people, most Christians they stop right here. Most Christians, they stop right here. They stop right here and they don't move on to perfection. That's what happens in the church. You see? Not so with the remnant. The remnant is a very special people. Peculiar, but special nonetheless. You see? Moving on to perfection. Putting aside the elementary things, we move on to perfection. He says, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things, he says, you see. I put away the childish things. Why? Because he's maturing. He's matured in Christ. You see, and he himself... I don't count myself to have achieved already, he says. We studied that on Wednesday. But I press forward, he says. Do you remember? How beautiful is it to see, you know, when, when Paul says that he has people as a pattern, and you read the writings of Paul, it's like, wow, what a beautiful pattern the Lord has given us. What a beautiful pattern. What about the pattern of Chloe, what about the pattern of uh, Barnabas, Epaphroditus, Peter, James, Lydia, 
Lois, Eunice. These beautiful, beautiful patterns. Phoebe. Beautiful, beautiful patterns. And I speak from the Bible, but what about patterns that the Lord has for us today? Not a lot. For me, not a lot. Not a lot. I can't speak for you, but for me, there's not a lot. I meant, I could tell you a number, but you'll probably be shocked. <laughs> but there's, there's not a lot. But what I love so much about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that in a fellowship, these gifts of the Spirit, it's not everybody speaking in tongues. Where there are tongues, there has to be interpretation. But somebody has the gift of wisdom, of knowledge, of faith, of healings, of miracles, of prophecy, of discernment of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And you know what you see? It's like, wow. This, I think of, you know, I kind of think militarily, it's like a squad, you know, ready to go out on patrol. You see? Fully armed. And Paul, when he writes these things in chapter 13, verse 11, he says, I put away the childish things. In verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly. You see? That's now. Now we see in a mirror dimly. Why? Because everything is in part. Verse 9, we know in part. We prophesy in part. And so in verse 12, we see in a mirror dimly or see in a glass dimly. But then, which is a future time, but then face to face in our glorified body, in your glorified body, to see Jesus Christ face to face. I've never seen Jesus Christ face to face. I've fallen in love with him through his word. I read his word. I fall in love with him every day. Deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Him. I look forward to the better marriage. I look forward to my husband, capital H. And if you're thinking carnally, you know, get that out of your head. As a member of the Bride of Christ, I look forward to our husband, capital H. And so you read these passages, but then face to face, that's you. That's me in our glorified bodies. Now I know in part, remember this is Paul saying this. Paul, he's like a, a well of knowledge. Now I know in part, but then, which is a future time, I shall know just as I also am known. Oneness with the Lord, oneness with Christ. The oneness we have with Him now, it's in the Spirit. In the Spirit, a time is coming and it's here now where people who worship the Father will worship Him in spirit and truth. The same Father, the same Spirit, the same Lord, oneness. It's all spiritual right now. Right now it is. But then, face to face. See, these are things that we look forward to. You've been hurt. You feel the pain. Let it testify of this fallen world. 
allow it to help you in looking forward to paradise where there is no more pain, no more sorrow. And even my statement in saying that might be painful in itself because it's like, wow, you have no idea the pain that I experienced. You have no idea the hurt that I've experienced. And you're right, I don't. But the Lord knows. And there's healing in Him. Oh, I don't believe in healing. That was for another dispensation. I went to this church and they told me that was for another dispensation. They were wrong. There's no expiration date on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the gift of healings. Chapter 12, verse 9. Healings. Healings. The Lord can heal you. You see? Not what... People who say that, you know, that was for another dispensation, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that was for another dispensation. It's not for today. The Spirit of the Lord would never say that. What, on what authority, what grounds are they saying these things? What grounds do they even stand on to even utter such a thing? You might be in a situation where you do feel the pain, you do feel the hurt, and you have been hurt. You have been a victim of this fallen world. There is healing in Jesus Christ. I don't care what anybody says. There is healing in Jesus Christ. And He loves you. He wants to wipe away your tears. And He can wipe away your tears. You see? People say, oh, you just believe, you just believe. Well, it's kind of easy. (laughs) What's wrong with belief? What's wrong with just believing? What's wrong with the, the, the flame of faith? What's wrong with that? You see? Understanding that faith can grow. A measure of faith is given to every man. What our study in Romans. Faith can grow. Allow your faith to grow. I mean, I look at these. I mean, I love chapter 13 so much, but there's also a little hint of maybe anger is the wrong word to use, but maybe it is apropos. Because I've talked to the atheists. I've talked to the people who are just on the verge of walking. I'm going to walk away from Christ. I'm going to walk away from the church. Why? Tell me why. Well, because, and then they just unload. And a large majority of times, I'm in agreement with them. Not leaving the church. Leaving that church. Yeah, definitely. But not leaving Christ. You see? It's going to get worse. This is nothing. What, we, what we're looking at today, what we're seeing today in, in the world, it's nothing. It's going to get much, much worse. Much, much, much worse. And love will wax cold. But not so with the remnant. The remnant is protecting their hearts. 
You see? In closing, verse 13. And now, not future, right here, right now. And now, abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Love, agape love, sacrificial love. And I just, perhaps, perhaps, you might need to hear this message today. Because you're kind of in the doldrums of like, man, you know, I don't, I don't speak in tongues. I don't have knowledge. I read about prophecy. I don't have discernment. I don't have the prophet. I don't do miracles. I, what am I? I'm of no use. And if that's you, nonsense. I say that, you know, if we were to meet, if we were to, if we were to have this face-to-face, con- you know, face-to-face conversation, I'd say nonsense, but I'd have a big smile on my face. Nonsense. My beloved, the greatest gift, the greatest is love. You see? Love plus, not not any gift minus love. Love plus And I'll leave it at that. You know why? Because as you grow, as you mature, as you move on to perfection, the Lord is going to give you knowledge. He's going to give you understanding. And now you're going to have love plus knowledge. And then you're going to have love plus understanding. Love plus wisdom. And then there's going to be, I mean, I can't speak, you know, like, I don't know how the Lord is going to gift you. Maybe miracles. Maybe prophecy. Maybe tongues and maybe the interpretation of tongues. I don't know. But on this, we can have great expectation together. That you can have love plus and you and me both will leave it there. And you and me both, we can have this great anticipation and expectation that the Lord is going to do beautiful, beautiful things in your life. In your life. God bless you, beautiful people of the way. I love you.